Night falls on the golden age of humanity. Sons shall turn upon their father, and his worlds drown in blood. The eye shall open, and the galaxy will burn. Join us, listeners. We go into the canon lore of the Forge World Black Books on Heresy Grad School. Professors Jason, Patrick, and Dave, myself, will dive into the lore of the Black Books and the Black Library novels that we know and love and explore the heresy as history. So get a coffee, get your notebook out, and uh, prepare to explore heresy as history with us on Heresy Grad School. Hey everybody, and welcome to a uh, another episode of Heresy Grad School, part of the Remembrancers Retreat. I'm here with Professors Dave, Jason, and myself, Patrick, and we're getting back into some uh, Thousand Suns. So, uh, where are we headed to today, Jason, Dave? Well, I, I mean, I feel like we should circle back a little bit, and um, I want to just apologize to our listeners a little bit about the audio, qual- audio quality we had last time. Um, we had a little bit of trouble with Craig uh, and Discord, which is why we're trying something new this time, which is why you probably did not experience the um, expletives that you're normally used to, because um, uh, we're not on Discord. So we're doing something new for this one, and hopefully uh, that'll give you guys a little better audio quality and uh pat i don't know do you want to say anything else about where we're going with 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 the podcast in terms of like production and so intros? um i'm not sure how much i'm allowed to say as far as uh what's happening with production but but expect new things on the horizon new exciting things um but yeah so like dave said sorry again listeners about about the quality with uh, the last episode, but we're trying something new. We're hoping you like it. We already know the sound quality is better, and we hope you think so too, because we we definitely want to deliver a, a fantastic product to you guys. So um, I think that's it for me. Cool. Well, um, we are still in the the deep lore of the Fifteenth Legion, the Thousand Suns. Um, we're exploring. I think in particular their early lore, sort of pre-reuniting um, with Magnus and sort of pre-Prospero, that that early Thousand Sun lore that you know starts on Terra, like Jason was talking about last time, and then just sort of evolves and expands from there. It's it's fascinating to me. I know it's fascinating to to Jason and Pat as well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think that's where we're going today. So for myself, I'm going to talk about um, uh, a full color plate on page 163 of book seven. It is the 15th Legion veteran. Um, but, uh, but before I go down that rabbit hole, I'm going to let Jason sort of tell you guys where he... Hey guys, how's it going this evening? So for me, 
a couple of things I wanted to touch on this evening. Kind of the initial sort of honors some of the combat they fought and some of the interactions the 15th Legion had with a few of the other legions uh, pretty much right out of the gate. And two, I want to touch on this amazing little box out on page 143 in book seven called An Empyrean Purpose uh, at the tail in there because it really goes back to touch on what Dave and I were talking about, some of the connections between book seven and book eight on really the hypocrisy of the imperial truth and kind of the odd place the Thousand Sons are placed in as a legion uh, created by an emperor who is denying part of the purpose and function of their existence. It's pretty interesting, that whole sort of uh, mixed dichotomy there. So, uh, tonight we're going to look at this little section starting out here called Whispers and Fire. Uh, it's on page 142, if you're following along. has a pretty uh, badass Leviathan dreadnought down at the bottom there. And the reason I wanted to talk about this, the Thousand Sons had a lot of things going for them, and as much as they liked to touch on this initial period as them being uh, very ordinary and nothing out of line in how they got started, other than the fact that they had a very, very low uh, recruitment rate, but a very, very high successful implantation rate uh, for elevation from mortal to Legionis Astartes. Now, it's interesting starting out because this is much of a uh, super soldier as a Legionis Astartes is, he's still a human in part. And that kind of factors in here because like humans, the legions are curious and they kind of wanted to know about this tiny, super specialized legion that seemed to be kind of ordinary, but for some reason, Granddad was giving them all sorts of like honor right out of the gate. They were called his thousand sons. The emperor personally selected a very high percentage of the initial recruits. And at best case scenario, that fuels a little curiosity and speculation in some of the other legions that haven't caught some of these honors. So it says here, uh, perhaps it was the honor done to the 15th initially by the emperor at their creation that first drew the speculation and curiosity of the others. Now, not only had the emperor given them this personal honor of selection, he'd given them words at their oath-taking and had become known as the Thousand Sons uh, even before their first battle honor, before they'd been deployed, which was very odd because far, far into after the Unification Wars, uh, there were still legions operating under just their number uh, that they had not yet received their you know, uh, more or less official little cognomen. But uh, the Thousand Sons, even as they kind of outgrew that name, they were still very, very slowly inducting new recruits. Uh, same deal as when they got started. It was only with great caution, uh, sometimes taking only a know, one or two from a world that they conquered, uh, and perhaps it was sort of these induction procedures that also kind of grew this curiosity from the other legions into suspicion. 
But they were now pretty well known amongst their brothers, and it's this time five years out of the gate from the Great Crusade uh, that their warriors were finally starting to manifest some of their unique psychic potential. And it says it doesn't really do anything to alleviate that suspicion and distrust from the other legions, but actually inflames it in a lot of cases. So uh, a solid decade, I'm sorry, not five years, but a decade after the Great Crusade passes beyond the boundaries of the soul system, the Thousand Suns first begin to manifest their psychic potential. And starting out, it's just a very few, just a handful. But as the years kind of go on, you've got more and more starting to manifest their powers. And it says specifically, these aren't the lesser, you know, sanctioned arts of the fate twisters that attend the noble houses of Terra, but manifestations of the true potential of the Empyrean at its most destructive and majestic. Now, again, we touched on this last time. That's not Imperium as in Imperium of Man, that's Empyrean as in the Imperial Arts, E-M-P-Y-R-E-A-N, you know, having to do with Warcraft. So as they're starting to manifest these powers, these are things that a lot of the other legions have never seen before. They're displaying like living fire made manifest and deluges of bio-lightning and telekinetic powers, things like that which was probably pretty alarming uh, for some of the legions at this point because old Terra was really rife with these psychic manifestations and mutations. And a lot of the time, the emperor had deployed his legions to specifically put down things like this. But this is balanced with the fact that right out of the gate, the Thousand Suns were lumping success on success on success which isn't alleviating any of this suspicion, but it's kind of combining that suspicion with maybe even some professional jealousy. And the very careful selection process he's taken, to some it really seems like the emperor, in quote-unquote his wisdom, had successfully created this legion which kind of fuses the psychic potential of human beings with the super-soldier you know, gene forging of the Legion, uh, the Legion of Stardis. And one of their initial strengths that they touch on here is it's proven that the Thousand Suns are very unpredictable as a foe, and it's something that the enemies of the Imperium have never had to deal with before. So, again, all through the Unification War, Psychers were seen as kind of this at absolute best case scenario, a shunned weapon to kind of use only under utmost necessity. But now it's an entire legion of them selected by the hand of the emperor himself. And not only do they have this now cloud of sort of distrust, in some cases it kind of grows into even outright hostility with some of the other legions. On page 143, they give several uh, examples of this. Uh, Let's see. On Astratus, the first millennial of the Third Legion withdrew their ships when a company of the 15th joined their mustering to take the colonies of the Sin Stars. Or another one, during the Colgrin campaign, the Dusk Raiders contingent mustered as part of the force refused to look, listen, or even speak to any of the Thousand Sons, dealing solely through intermediaries and servitors. 
And it goes on to say, during this period, Horus himself was said to even have to have contacted the emperor to say uh, he has a very direct concern over these, and he'd even started working on a plan to cull them should they waver in their purpose, which is pretty heavy uh, coming from Horus, even this early on. But in this first decade, uh, these the Thousand Sons are spawning these stories that really almost in the same way the Night Lords could have an entire system surrender as soon as their ships, you know, translate in system because they know, um, enemies of the Imperium know what comes with the Night Lords. In the same way, these Thousand Sons sort of generate these tales of, you know, armies of thousands being turned to ash and fortress walls crushed by, you know, invisible telekinetic forces and and uh, whole companies of Thousand Suns marching through storms of, you know, fire and laser and plasma and emerging on the other side untouched. And there are a few they call out specifically. Uh, one, I know we talked about Armin's brother, uh, Captain Ormutst. Uh, he's actually called out here as subduing the planet Nakordo with just 200 warriors. A little bit less impressive than one we'll talk about later on the Night World, but still fun. Or uh, another good one is Legio Lacrame, uh, a Titan Legion now defunct and disappeared, but uh, at the time they were oath-bound to the Thousand Suns for driving off uh, uncounted orcs off of their Titans during the reverse route of Megarania. And a pretty big deal, talking about uh, personal honors accorded to them by the Emperor, he actually selected a cadre of Thousand Sons to accompany him in his war against the Crave, which they're, uh, they're actually touched on a lot. I remember they were in the 6th and maybe even the 5th and 4th edition uh, Warhammer 40,000 rulebooks in the whole picture of the galaxy section they'd have in the middle outlining, you know, all of the different factions and some of the Xenos, things like that. But they're a very potent, psychically gifted Xenos species. And I know they've even come up a couple of times before. Uh, I know they touch on them in Betrayal, I think a couple of times in Extermination. But they're scattered all throughout the Black Books, kind of like the Hrud. But that brings us to this little box out I wanted to read to you guys specifically. Because I think it's really heavy, and it's pretty terrific in how it touched on what Dave and I were talking about last time. The little bit of the uh, Emperor's hypocrisy sprinkled in there. So at the top of page 143 here, an Empyrean purpose. At the time of the manifestation of their psychic powers, the truth of the scheme of the Thousand Suns' creation seemed obvious, and still seems so now. How could the Emperor, in his wisdom and power, have not known what seeds lay in the flesh of the humans taken to make the Thousand Suns? How could he have not known the qualities of the gene seed used to raise them above humanity when it was the product of his own hand and knowledge? If we admit that he did not know what he did, then we admit to a universe filled with doubts and bottomless uncertainty. Yet if we acknowledge that which seems manifestly true, that he knew full well what he had wrought with the creation of the Thousand Suns, then we must see, perhaps, that the hubris that would lay Magnus low was not him alone, but lived in his father also. So, I think that's a pretty terrific way 
for them to kind of almost come full circle and really touch on what the Emperor was trying to accomplish. And with that, I would love to turn it over to Dave here, who has quite a few things to say. No, thanks, Jason. That that was awesome, man. And in all the ways that, that uh, you know, what Jason covers is always awesome. Um, yeah, it, it really does speak to, I think, the, the paradox of the emperor. And he's clearly selecting this leader for its psychic potential, but he, he can't say that, right? Um, because to say that would, would um, sort of open him up to all kinds of, of uh, hypocrisy and, and other types of, you know, um, wounds and barbs. But, but he's clearly doing that. He's, he is embowing these legionnaires with a psychic potential that only, like, later manifests. <clears throat> but... Um, and we know that the emperor, by design, wants humanity to psychically ascend. And we know from the lore that the emperor sees psychic potential in human beings and, and seeks them out, right? He, he has a special place for them. Um, and when he recognizes sort of a unique psychic potential within a human being, you know, like a candle to the flame, he seeks them out and psychically. Um, but, and so this is all very sort of Machiavellian, you know, what, what are his schemes and what are his um, end goals? But, you know, the, the 15th Legion is, is, I think, a very special Legion. And so leaving where Jason sort of, you know, ended, and then picking up on page 163 of book seven, there's a very interesting full-color plate on a 15th Legion veteran. And I, want, I just want to go over this with you guys because it's, it's interesting in a number of different ways. Um, so he's an unnamed Terran veteran. Um, he is of the seventh chapter of the fourth host of the... 15th Legion Astartes, we know, and the compliance of Musava, the Preso campaign. So here we have um, the depicted version of a Mark II armored 15th Legionnaire, but there's some very different, um, I guess there's some very there's some marked differences in his armor, right? So the panoply of the 15th Legion on this page uh, couldn't be more in contrast to what you would see later on. And I think it draws a lot of, of its uh, legacy from armorials that would go back to the Achaemenid Empire and something that the Black Books call the Norheon Witchmark of Old Terra, which Jason and I both sort of went back and forth on, and we, we decided was the sort of like the snake bite on his um, left breast plate. And actually, Jason and I did a lot of back and forth on this, and we sort of said, what is different about this Mark II armor than, you know, other Mark II armor that we've seen before? You know, it's, it's sort of described as a Stygian variant of Mark II. Okay, well, Stygian, you know, you've got the snake 
you know, themes in there. But, but what does that really mean? And so if you look at this Space Marine and you look at this sort of full color plate, you know, it's obvious that the helmet really stands out. This is a unique helmet. And um, it, it was, it's described as um, being produced in very limited, uh, uh, I guess, uh, varieties, and then also as a temporary measure to cover the demand that was being placed on it by Space Marine Legions. So I would say that not many legions outside of the Thousand Suns even got this variety of Mark II armor. Probably only the Thousand Suns. Um, and it was probably uh, pre-heresy. Um, and so this really makes them unique. And, and the other thing I want to talk about with this Space Marine um, is sort of his history because it's really deep. Uh, so he's depicted at the outset of a mission to Misaba, the outer capital of a world of the Persoan hybrid, um, potentially a, a, a galactic-spanning uh, empire, maybe not galactic-spanning empire, but certainly a system-spanning system empire. And he is um, he's pre-unification with the Magnus, with Primarch Magnus, and... This is, this is a point where the Thousand Suns were really coming into their own psychic potential. And so we have the Thousand Suns as sort of a, a pre-psychic uh, legion. And, you know, I think, I think that's really interesting because you have that juxtaposition of uh, the warrior cast of, of the Space Marines and then also that, that psychic you know, cult that's coming through. Um, the thing I wanted to link back to with their armorials, with uh, the 15th Legion in particular, and sort of the, the deep lore, something that comes up in the Apocrypha. Um, we, we, we like to sort of follow Easter eggs here. And so the Index Imperialis Apocrypha was something that uh, Games Workshop produced um, a while back. I'm not sure they still do. But if you can get your hands on one, you should. Um, and page on page 74 and 75, there's this, this sort of black and white full-color plate of a Fire Wasps Titan. So um, Legio um, Ignatum, right? They're the Fire Wasps. And this is, I think this is a heresy uh, battle scene, although it doesn't say that. I think it is. Um, and it is the Ultramarines first, the Thousand Suns. And to me, this is the first instance of sort of that pre-heresy Thousand Suns um, uh, iconography. So you can see the M displayed on a banner in the right-hand corner of the Thousand Suns. Um, you see that Mark II armor, which is really cool. Um, and then... Yeah, I, throughout this th throughout this graphic, you can kind of see the Thousand Suns and the the Ultramarines in uh, in this duel, um, and I think that's very cool. It sort of speaks to sort of I think the designs that the Games Workshop had going into this, you know, where the heresy was going. But um, but yeah, I, I mean this is this is all here, right? So we have some deep lore. Um, this is talking about, again, the campaign on Prisoa 
It was one of the last instances where the 15th Legion was at their full strength and would would willingly sort of partake in this theater-wide operation alongside other Legion Astartes. Um, so they, after this, I think they sort of detached and, and they were very sort of seclusive and removed from what the other Legions were doing because, you know, reasons, right? They didn't want to expose themselves and uh, uh, sort of the psychic potential of their Legion as well as some of the other, I think, um, you know, um, underlying plots that they had going. But this is, I think, a great example of a full-color plate that the Black Library and the Black Books have um, come together and and brought us. And so, I mean, really, that's all I uh, I wanted to talk about with this with this episode, guys. But um, yeah, we'd love to know your thoughts on this. So. I actually have a question for both. I guess it's for both uh, Dave and Jason. Just as far as, you know, we we touched on that um, pre-psychic potential, um, or like before they had psychic potential, and then when the Great Crusade spilled out of um, the the main solar system, uh, the the Thousand Suns started to get their psychic powers. So was that all the Thousand Suns, or just some of the Thousand Suns, or have we even gone down that that road yet? Well, starting out, like uh, we touched on, a little, there was just a very handful of Thousand Suns manifesting their psychic potential, and followed by gradually more and more and more as the Great Crusade rolled on. Now, after that, it's a matter of really, really hot debate. Yeah, you know, the internet loves to uh, debate things venomously over, uh, <laughs> uh, this is a kind of a debate that's been going on for a long time, is uh, it was every single Thousand Sun a psyker, or were just like the squad leaders? Did they just have a much higher preponderance of psychers? And there are sources you can find all over the place in normal Warhammer fashion that contradict each other back and forth. The nearest I can tell and deal I kind of go with is they all seem to have at least minor psychic talent. But if you remember way down the road with the rubric of Araman, it was only every, what, every one in nine that was powerful enough to keep from getting dusted and locked into their armor. So they probably had a bare minimum of psychic potential, even far, far down the chain. Because uh, like we've touched on before, the greater your psychic potential, the quicker you seem to move up the ranks in the Thousand Suns. But it might have been something so minute to the point where the best thing your psychic talent could do is help you clean your bolter. But it does seem like at least a tiny bit of talent existed across every thousand sun. Like, I may only be able to move, like, a pebble across a room, but, like, my squad leader can channel force lightning. That kind of thing. Or bio-lightning, excuse me. As close as I can figure from all the you know, dozen or so sources that kind of contradict each other back and forth. That's as near as I can figure. All right. Very cool. Um, Dave, Jason, do you guys have anything else to add? 
it's gonna be a little weird not uh not telling Craig to fuck off. Uh, yeah, completely. And uh, you know, uh, I will say, bear with us, listeners. We're again, we're growing, and uh, you know, we're trying a new recording slash audio format and. With this episode especially, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Please comment on it um, or, you know, send us a message and tell tell us what you think. I'd love to get the feedback. Should we still tell Craig to fuck off just I mean, for the tradition of it? Maybe, but, I mean, do you guys have any anything to plug right now, Dave? No, I mean, Pat, I think, I think if anybody, you have something to plug. <laughs> Right? I mean, your 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 forge world has been sort of going going like, you know, non-stop optimal yeah. efficiency. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, I I'll, I'll I'll tell the listeners this. Don't get into 3D printing. It's a dirty dirty habit. <laughs> um yeah, uh, I can I can tell you my office is about 3 degrees hotter than the rest of the, my house. But yeah, now I'm I'm 3D printing and I'm loving it. Everything from Lucius Warhounds to Warhammer Fantasy Terrain, you know, I'm I'm all over the place and I'm loving it. But um, yeah, I I don't have anybody to plug. Jason, do you need to plug Coke again in hopes that they actually give us a sponsorship? I don't. I'm slowly making the uh, switch to Zevia instead. You disgust me. I know. It's all about that trivia. <laughs> Living that crunchy granola mom life. Yeah, I'll buy you some Birkenstocks later. How about that? I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I guess if that's it, uh, hope hope you all enjoyed the episode, and thanks for listening. Now, now fuck off, Craig. Fuck off, Craig.